So I'm sitting at my desk, and uh, it's the first first semester of seminary. It's me and a handful of other excited pastor people. So we're gathered in the class, and the professor goes through uh, the syllabus, right? It's kind of the boring stuff. Here's all the books you need to have. Here's kind of the calendar, and we're going to take these days off. Um, but because we took these days off, we have to double up over here, right? We're going to study these things and blah, 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 blah. And then at the end of it, um, the professor's tone just, it, it completely shifts. And you ever been in a room where you just, you, you know, it's business as usual. And then you could just feel like, like the air and everything, the environment, it just kind of, it shifts and it, it got real serious. And, and the professor leaned in and he said, you're going you're gonna to learn a lot in seminary. But the most important thing that you're going to learn to do is to, is to align your life so that you experience true joy, satisfaction, and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they just sort of paused. And we're all sitting here kind of like you are right now going... Okay, And then he said, does that make sense? And everyone said, yes. And he said, because if you don't do this, if you do not do this, um, see, as a leader, as a pastor, as, as a husband, as, as any sort of leader, wherever you go, what you reproduce is you. And this could either be a blessing or this could be a curse because you will be in churches and people will pick up on and they will become like you. Meaning if you say one thing and do the opposite of it, you will produce people that do that and your church will be divided. So you must learn how to nurture your soul. Does this make sense? And the whole class said, yes. And I went, yes. Because I didn't know, right? So I leaned over to the guy sitting next to me. I said, I have no idea what it means to nurture your soul. And he leaned over to me and went, I don't either. And I was like, oh, okay, good. Whew. Like, I know what it means. You know, I grew up in church. I know what it means to like nurture and take care of your soul, right? Like I get that. But um, I don't know what it means to nurture or to take care of your soul. And I, I'm willing to bet, I, you know, me and the guy sitting next to me, we weren't the the only people that didn't know how to do that. I'm willing to bet there's a couple people in the room that like, we have no idea what that means, right? Like maybe your kids, at least for me, like I was kids when I was a kid growing up and playing, you know, games or we'd be on like a battleship or pretending like we're flying an airplane and we get shot down and we're like, SOS, save our souls, right? You grow up in church and you're like, you know, some of the old songs of, you know, why are you all, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul, right? Like there's that, that soulful language. Some of you like soul food, right? There's all these different things with the soul, but to actually define what that is and how to nurture it. Yeah. Like, I, I knew what it was, but I, I also knew that it wasn't this. Um, do, you, do you guys remember Looney Tunes? Do you ever watch Looney Tunes? So you, you start thinking of, like, your soul, and it was kind of depicted this way. And I knew this wasn't it, but I didn't have a better explanation for it. Um, you know where, like, Daffy Duck, uh, like an anvil will fall on his head, or, or the grand piano will just fall on him, and then it goes to the next shot, and he's just kind of laying there? Then that, like, that grayish, translucent kind of, like, his body, a figure of it kind of just floats up above him? And you're like, that's the soul, but it's not, but like, you know, I don't really know how else to describe it. And, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the soul. And it's, it's, it's so incredibly important that we understand what it is. Otherwise, the verse that we're going to read makes no sense. 
to any of us. We just hear it and we go, yeah, that sounds really good. And then we move on past it. So I'm warning you ahead of time. We're going to do a deep dive. So I, there's a chance that I could lose you on this, but I need you to stick with me. All right. Okay. There's a chance that I'm going to lose you. I need you to stick with me. Okay. Okay. Good man. So we're, we're three weeks into this series, right? So verse one says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want right? We talked about that. Week two was verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now this is our verse, verse three. We're in the third week. It says this, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now I kind of want to ask two questions real quick. Um, the first one, he restores my soul. I want to ask the question, how? Have you ever thought about that? Like how? Well, you know, he's God, he, you know, he died on the cross and how, and then the second question is this, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Why? I understand like for his namesake, but it, it, it doesn't need to be a path. He could do something else. So why do I have to go on that path? Are you with me? So let me give you point number one, and then we're going to do the deep dive. Okay. Point number one is this. My soul is broken. By default, if the shepherd is restoring my soul, it must be broken. Because if it's not broken, he doesn't need to restore it. Are you with me? Okay, the online people are with me. Thanks for typing in. You got, Come on, work with me. So here's what we need to do. In order to figure out what the soul is and how it operates, we need to talk about what makes a person a person. What makes you, you. So I got some diagrams and I know I'm, I'm, you know, slowly becoming the diagram guy. I don't want to be, but I'm becoming the circle diagram guy. But here's the deal. You at your core, you have a will. Okay. You have a will in the ancient world. They would talk about your will. They would also say these words kind of overlap and they get nuanced, but you have a spirit and you have a heart. This is, this is basically it's, it's your will. And we hear heart today and we think, no, heart is emotions. That's thanks to Disney, not to ancient thought. Okay, so I, I'm a simple man. I like the word chooser. You have a chooser. I have a chooser. And sadly, our chooser is broken because we choose good things and we also choose bad things. Are you with me? This isn't the deep, profound part, but we'll get to that. Okay, so that, that's the idea. You have a will. You, it's your spirit. It's your heart. It's, it's your chooser, right? It does those things. Um, the will, I, I need to let you know that um, you can see this plainly in two-year-olds. I, I have a son. He's two-year-old. His name is Nixon, and he's, he's amazing. Um, but he's, he's discovered a word. And what is the favorite word of a two-year-old, just out of curiosity? No. no. What's the second favorite word? No. Oh, you've, you've had children. Mine. No and mine. What is he doing there? He's exercising his will. He's learning that he has a will and he's using it. And the will, you need to know this, is, is like a muscle. And it gets fatigued. And after a while, it can only say no or it can only say yes. It can only choose the good and right thing so many times before it gets tired. And it chooses the wrong or hurtful thing. This is why if you're ever trying to be disciplined or quit an addiction or something along those lines, this is why willpower is never enough. Because that baby gets tired. It gets fatigued. It doesn't work. If you can do push-ups, you know, right? You can do a certain number of push-ups. Once you go beyond that, good luck. You get tired, right? You get fatigued. The will does the same thing. This is why willpower is never enough. Now, not only do you have a will, but you have something else. You have a mind. This is where your thoughts and your emotions live. It's all wrapped up in your mind. Now, your mind can think wonderful thoughts. It can think thoughts that are true and thoughts that are good, but it can also think 
sinful thoughts, evil thoughts, hurtful thoughts. This is crazy, though, because your mind will think two different thoughts. The Bible talks about a double-minded man, a double-minded person, where you can think mean thoughts about one person, and you can wish for their demise, and all the while you can justify in your brain why you're a good person. You ever notice that? The mind is so good about making wrong decisions feel right. And we go through the thought process right here to try and justify the decisions that the will or our chooser has made. We try to justify and explain why it's okay, why it's good, why it was necessary that we did this thing. You with me so far? Okay, this is really good. Way better than the last service. Way better. (laughs) Kidding. Um, Say, okay, so you got a will, you got a mind, you also have a body. The body is what brought you to church today, right? Like you woke up, you got in your car, you did this. Now inside the the body lives habits and cravings or appetites. And here God designed it this way, that your will would rule over your body. The problem is it's broken and sometimes the will doesn't. And the body, its habits and its desires will eat the will for breakfast. The body eats willpower for breakfast all day, every day. Which is why, let me explain it this way. Um, I have an addiction. My body has cravings. It has an addiction. And I am addicted to caffeine through, uh, <laughs> through uh, the avenue of coffee. Cold coffee, hot coffee, light coffee, dark coffee, coffee. I just, coffee. Now, here's what happens. I've had two cups of coffee already. And some of you are like, I know, you need to have less. I have decided that I'm good at two cups of coffee. I don't need a third. That's my choice. My chooser has kicked that in. My mind says, great idea, because when you get it, you get jittery and you talk loudly. So maybe you need to tone it down a little bit. You don't need two cups of coffee. We're good. And my body goes, we're addicted. We have a habit of getting coffee in the afternoon, two in the morning, one in the afternoon, and we're craving some caffeine right now. Guess what my body has decided it's going to do? I'm going to go get some coffee and my mind will kick in to try and help the will out and say, no, 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 no. You don't need to spend three dollars and 50 cents. Don't do it. Right. So it's going to play that financial card. And my will goes, that's great. We're going to choose that. And the body goes, ah, I'm going to do it anyways. So when I get there, I order the large cup of coffee and I end up paying more for it. And then my mind has to go and justify and go, ah, it's not that bad. Because if you didn't get your coffee, Steve, you would have a headache. So in order to solve the headache, we're going to spend $4 on a cup of coffee. Do you see how this works? How this whole thing is all out of alignment? I'm trying to choose what is good. The mind reinforces it and said, yeah, that of course that is good. And the body goes, nope, I'm hungry. For whatever the craving or the appetite is. Are you with me? Can you see this in your own life? These things are, when they work together in unison, it is beautiful. But because our soul is broken, because the parts of what make you, you, and me, and me are broken, they are inconsistent, they contradict one another, we live with tension. We live with stress, anxiety, anger. So you got a will, you got a mind, you have a body. There's also this, social. You and I have relationships, don't we? People are a big part of us. They help make up our identity. Um, I am the son of Bob and Charlene Osborne. I'm the husband to Darcy. I'm the dad to Nolan and Nixon. This, this is part of my identity. This is who I am. This plays such a big rule, 
uh, big role in our lives because have, do you ever have a person in authority over you? Maybe when you were young, uh, a, a teacher, a pastor, a coach, a leader, a, a sibling, um, say something to you, a, a limiting belief of some sort. Uh, you're not smart. You will never do well in school. Maybe you heard that in third grade. And as a full grown adult, you struggled to read the Bible because it's a book. And you weren't a very good reader. And it just camps out in your mind. You're trying to push through things that were said about you when you were young. You, you see how all this play, your identity is, is wrapped up in all of these things. And the relationships that you and I have play a huge part into this. Now you have all these things and then you have your soul. And what your soul is trying to do, it is the deepest part of you. It's the most profound part of you. And your soul is constantly trying to integrate that which is broken. And the soul is deteriorating. It is struggling. It is falling apart. It is broken and in need of restoration because these things are constantly at odds with one another. This is why, by the way, church is so incredibly important because it's forming, it's retraining every aspect of your humanity, every aspect of who you are. This is why church matters. This is why this is so essential to our life because our chooser is broken and sometimes we choose the wrong thing. Our minds play games on us, don't they? Our body has certain appetites and habits and addictions and it will override the mind and the will. Our friends... Our relationships will either encourage us to move one way or move the other way. And all the while, our soul is sitting here going, uh, <laughs> this is broken. We need to fix this. So we're all here at church. We, and if you're new to church, welcome. But we show up here because we want to follow Jesus. We want to become like Jesus. We want to live life like he would live if he were here today. This is, this is what we're doing And in order to do that, the will needs to be surrendered. Not my will be done, but your will be done. But God's will. We have to surrender our will to God's. The mind needs to be transformed. It needs to be renewed. We need to change the way we think about things. We need to repent those things. The body needs to be retrained because of the habits that it has. It's got some great habits, but it also has some destructive habits. This is where self-control, if you've ever struggled with self-control, you need to retrain the body. It lives there. Our relationships need to be submitted to God. You need people that will point you towards him, that will lead you in passive righteousness, that will lead you in, in the right way to go and live life, a life that bears fruit. And that happens with people in our lives. And the soul, the soul must be saved. Saved from what? The soul needs to be saved from sin. Because when sin enters each and every aspect of our humanity, it's distorted, it's broken, and it's dangerous. It's, well, let me read you this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Sin and your soul are constantly battling one another and your soul is trying to make sure your life is integrated. It's living in harmony with yourself, with God and with other people. And sin sneaks in there. It gets in there and it starts to chip away at your soul and the soul must be restored. 
This is why number two, sin is more significant than right or wrong or good or bad. I grew up in church and that's essentially what I learned. Sin is more, or I learned that like sin, don't do this because the Bible said so. Why? Because the Bible said so. Why? Well, just, that's what the Bible says. Because it's, it's not good or that's bad. And, and sin is far more profound and far more nuanced than simply good or bad, right or wrong. Sin rots the soul. And when sin gets into your body, you create habits of sinfulness, of evil desires. When it gets into your mind, you start thinking evil thoughts. When it gets into your will, you start choosing hurtful things. It's so much bigger than that. And I, if you put the diagram back up, I want to walk us through this. I want to give you three examples of, of how this plays out. Um, the easiest way or the easiest example that I can think of is diet and exercise. Because those, mm-hmm, that's right. Um, so here's what my will decides. My will is saying, Steve, uh, you're going to get healthy. You're going to eat right. You're going to exercise because you need to be around long enough for your kids and you need to be able to keep up with your kids. Great. I've chosen to be healthy and to do all this. The mind says that's great, right? Because your kids, you want to stick around and be healthy. The mind also says, but there's donuts in the staff kitchen. And then the body goes, Does someone say donuts. So the body gets me up out of my seat and says, we're getting donuts. And and I go back to the will, and the will's like, no, we've decided not to. And the mind says, that's right, we've decided not to. And the body's like, when have we ever done that? You've been alive 30 years. We've never done like a no-carb, no-sugar thing. What? And just overnight, you think you're going to wake up and do this? No. So what do I do? I get up and go get a donut. And chase it down with a cup of coffee, right? Because the body's in charge. Now, the mind is sitting here going, well, it's fine. You didn't destroy your diet. It's one donut. How bad could it be? And then the mind also goes, well, you already destroyed it, so you may as well dive right on in, baby. You already screwed up the diet. Eat half the box. I'm not the only one that struggled with this, has I? Yeah. Okay. And I go, oh, man, okay. And I look at my watch, and I go, okay, it's, it's 10 o'clock. So, I, you know, be good the rest of the day. Um, I, this is a big church. I have friends on staff. So when lunchtime rolls around, what do you think happens? Hey, let's go get a bite to eat. My mind goes, oh no. My will says, we got this. So they're social. It's my relationships. They say, hey, we're going out. And I say, okay, let's go. I'm going to order a salad. That's what I'm thinking. My mind, get the salad, get the salad, get the salad. My will's like, we've decided the salad. And then they pass out the menu and they come and they receive our order. My body kicks in and out of my mouth, my body goes, we'll take the pizza. <laughs> so I'm having a good time with friends. And you would think, oh, just sidestep the issue. Like, don't even go out and hang out with people. Therefore, you won't, you won't screw up on the diet. But my mind is also going, yeah, but you like people. You need to be around people. It's good to be around people. And all the while, my soul is sitting here going, Steve, get it together, man. I'm trying to orientate all of these things and your, your will is over here and your mind's this way and your body's like, forget it all. Here we go. And you got friends on the outside going, yay. And the will is just deteriorating going, I can't even right now. How do I work with this? It doesn't work. The soul needs to be restored. I'll give you another example because we don't do this at all in church. Um, where's Joel? Is Joel... He usually is over there sometimes. Uh, for this example, um, we're, we're going to pick on Joel. Uh, 
Joel's a nice guy. He's got, uh, he's funny. Uh, he's got an angelic voice and I, I can't stand the guy. It's an example. Just roll with it. Okay. Um, I, I love Joel. We're buddies. Um, probably not after this example, but we are buddies, but I, I love Joel, but I can't stand Joel. I hate that guy. He's the worst, right? So kind, polite, funny, beautiful voice. Oh, gross. So my, my mind has these horrible thoughts about Joel. I can't stand that guy. And, and when I see him, there, there's an emotion that creeps up. And the will is like, be cool. Don't act on this. Just keep this buried inside. And so my will needs to override my body with the support of the mind and say, um, Steve, you need to learn to control your face. Because when you see him at church, when you see him in staff meetings, don't let your face reveal what your mind is thinking. Thanksgiving, somebody, is coming up. Because if, if, you, if you reveal, if you show, if you're honest, which is a value that the mind likes, but unless it gets you in trouble, uh, you're concerned about what other people think about you. And so if other people know the thoughts that you had, they're going to think differently of you. And you have to figure out what to do with that. Because there's social ramifications. And the whole time my soul is sitting here going, Steve, if you would just love your enemy, if you would just pray for that person, if you would forgive that person, all of this is aligned. You don't have to worry about what other people think. They're probably going to be blessed because of the relationship you have. There there isn't any tension between the body and the will. And the mind is freed up not to live in lies and pretend, but to just be authentic and be real. Do you see why this is, why sin is so much more significant than just right or wrong, good or bad? It, it impacts everything. And I'll give you one more example and we'll move on. But this, this is, um, in a room this size and the people watching online, this has probably happened to you. And so I want to be very, very delicate. And, but we need to talk about it. Um, if you're new to church and you've ever wondered why Christians, um, think sexuality is a really big deal. This, I hope, will answer part of it. Because when you're married, when a husband and wife, when they love each other and they enter into the covenant of marriage, when they are married, sex is an act of the will because they give themselves to the other person. Dallas Willard, who, who taught me this diagram, um, he would say, the act of sex between a, a husband and wife is the closest two souls can get to touching one another. It is a soulful experience. And I choose to give myself to my spouse. Now we know the mind is is heavily involved in this because you have thoughts and you have emotions that you want to express to the person you love most in this world. And then the body, obviously that plays a part, right? And socially it's it's with you. It's with another person. And you're you're vulnerable, you're trusting, you're honest, you, you are... You, you've given yourself. Now the problem is when, you, when you're not married, when you're outside of that covenant marriage relationship, the will does not give. The will, I'm going to be bold here and say this, the will um, uses the other person for mutual satisfaction. There's a mutual benefit. And you say, no, 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 we love each other, we love each other. But you don't love each other enough to be in a covenant relationship. 
called marriage. And the mind knows that. So if you are giving yourself to that person who is not, who you're not married to, you're not giving, you are withholding that aspect of it. That trust, that love, that devotion, that covenant relationship in marriage. You are not giving that. So it becomes a, a, a using, a beneficial using of one another. And friends, we feel this in our soul, in the deepest part of us. And the mind will say, it's fine, it's not that big of a deal, marriage is a dated institution, blah, 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 blah. My friends don't care. And the mind is justifying all of these things. And if, you, if you've ever experienced any sort of trauma or abuse on any level, you, you know how deep and profound these wounds can be. Because the will was violated. There, there was no giving. The will didn't have a choice. In fact, there was taking. And your mind has to figure out, what in the world do I do with that? What does that mean now that someone took advantage of me? In the body, the will had no control over the body in that moment. And if I say anything to anyone, what are the ramifications of that? And this, the soul aches. This, this is why this work is so deep. Do you see why sin is so much bigger than just right or wrong, good or bad? It, it is transforming souls. Sin will do this, but the Spirit of God is also transforming. There's a healing element in this. Friends, my soul needs to be restored. This is a very, very important and a very big deal. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Number three in your notes, only God can restore my soul. Only God can restore the soul. So the good shepherd comes along into the story and he gives an invitation in the first century and it's the same invitation he gives to you and I. He says this, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. How does he do this? One last chart. This is the word of God. This is the scripture and the spirit of God. The you have to come to Jesus and give him your soul. He will provide rest for your soul. You need to embed Christ, his spirit, in all of your relationships. They need to be submitted to God. They need to be God-honoring. You need to retrain your body. You and I, we have bad habits. We have destructive habits. The mind, we need to rethink what we're thinking. We need to think differently. And the will, it needs to be submitted to God. This is how transformation works. This is how God restores our soul. We have to allow him and his word to penetrate every aspect of our humanity. Everything that we are, he, we need to surrender it to him. And he needs to have his way in every single aspect of this. We Listen, here's the word. We have to have faith that this will happen. We have to have faith that this will happen. And our response, our faith, which always leads to action, is a restored soul. This is why you and I, we must walk on those paths of righteousness. We can't sit there. He's going to lead us on this path because it requires some effort on our behalf. 
We have to play along with God to do this process. So we have to daily surrender our will. We have to be submissive to God. We have to rethink how we're living our lives and what we're thinking. And we have to train our bodies. We have to make sure our relationships are submitted to him. And our soul has to be saved from sin. And it needs to rest in the hands of Jesus. This is what it means to have your soul restored. And friends, there is a world where their souls are not integrated. This is why you and I have experienced so much stress and anxiety. It's because of the world, the people that we are surrounding ourselves with. There's an impact there. It's a part of us. And we have the answer. And the answer is Jesus. The answer is to rest in the loving hands, restorative hands of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. So here's, here's how I want to wrap up. Um, if, if your brain is full, having gone over this, it took me a semester to understand this. So I'm with you. I get it. Um, what I, what I would like us to do is I would like us to respond in worship. And, And here's why I want your will. I want you to decide that this morning you are going to act. You are going to respond to Jesus Christ. I want your mind to reflect on the words that we're about to sing. The truth that we are going to proclaim with our bodies. And we're going to do this corporately, whether you're online and in your house or you're here in the building. We're going to do this corporately because there's something powerful of looking to your left and to your right and to seeing other people proclaiming the truth of God because it reinforces what you think about him. And in your body, if you need to stand, if you need to sit, if you need to kneel, it doesn't matter whatever you do. But I want us to give, I want to give us this opportunity to come before the good shepherd, to come before him and allow him to work on our souls, allow him to begin restoring our souls. And so the band, you guys are up, fantastic. I'm going to pray and lead us in a prayer. And I want you to respond how you feel God's spirit is moving you through all of those. Are you with me? Let's do this. Father God, we come before you and we say thank you for your example, Jesus. We thank you for him. Thank God there's so much going on in the world. And yet at this moment, I choose to, to look internally at me. And I confess that things are not what they should be. My soul is not in alignment with every part of me, God. There's contradictory. There's contradictory things that's going on inside of me, God. And I'm in need of restoration. So, Father, would you hear the cry of my soul, the confession of my heart, Lord, that I am a sheep who needs the good shepherd to do a mighty work within me. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.